Joining our series this morning is Andrew Meyer, AM Principal of the AV Meyer Group and of course a board member of the Meyer Family Company. Andrew, I thought we'd open our discussion with Victoria, the, the state of Victoria, particularly over the course of the past two years. You're obviously a member of the Meyer Family, a very proud Victorian family. What do you make of the events of the past two years and how long do you think it'll be before Victoria recovers to, to the great state it once was? Good morning, Rob. Thanks for having me on your program. Uh, look, it's been, uh, as every viewer would know, a very, very challenging 18 months, uh, for Victoria particularly. Uh, I've been fortunate, I've been uh, out of the state for uh, almost half of that time, so I can't speak uh, with deep experience, but uh, certainly observationally from friends and feedback, it's been very tough. Uh, and the government and the citizens face uh, huge challenges in the next five to ten years. I think confidence has uh, been really knocked around uh, and certain sectors have been completely smashed and that, that's true. However, um, you've got to look to the future, that's all we've got and uh, we will get through it. We've been there before, 1890s, we got through that, 1930s, got through that. So uh, we're a pretty tenacious bunch. So I'm optimistic but I'm a realist as well. And then in terms of the broader Australia outlook, how would you evaluate the leadership that we've seen both from a federal level and a, and a state level as well? Look, sticking with the positive themes, I think uh, the federal government, despite the slow start, the vaccine and the vaccination program has really delivered. Uh, there's, I don't think there's a Western nation on earth that's got the vaccination rates as high as we have. Uh, on a state level, the frustrations and the border closures and the um, bureaucracy that's gone with the, the crisis has been, uh, in my view, extremely frustrating. But um, again, you can only look to the future and we will have to learn to live with the virus. And I think the closures and the, the stoppages and the, the, the freedom, the lack of freedom of movement, uh, which had been taken for granted for so long, uh, is something that we're really going to appreciate when we can move freely again. On the economic front, how would you assess Australia's relative economic position as opposed to, or as in contrast to, our Asia-Pacific peers? And, and where do you see the opportunities for growth in the years ahead? Look, our economy, uh, I think, has been remarkably robust. As I said before, there's some sectors that have been smashed. But I think um, the, the future growth opportunities, certainly uh, in the tech space uh, and being smarter about what we do, and in terms of the um, uh, environment generating uh, solar, the whole environmental piece is, is this, an enormous untapped potential. And I think if you just look at what Ross Garneau and others are doing and, and writing about uh, vigorously now, there is going to be huge upside for us. Um, certainly the world's not going to you know, tire of iron ore anytime soon. Uh, so they will, uh, as they have done in the last 12 months, be very strong export earners for the country. There will be a big demand for property, good property. You're seeing lots of uh, huge demand uh, in regional areas. You know, anything between two and three hours from a capital city, uh, you just have to look at the median price changes. It's been enormously strong. People want to uh, live uh, near a city, but also have the benefits of a region. Sea changes, tree changes and the like. We'll get into your property background a little bit later on, but I do want to ask you, can you quite believe the capital growth figures that you've seen, be it in Melbourne or Sydney, in terms of house prices recently? Look, 
it's a sport in Sydney. Uh, in fact, if you were looking for properties, as we flirted with um, for a couple of weeks in Sydney, I think by the time we uh, changed our minds, <laughs> it had probably gone up four or five percent. Uh, I don't think that's sustainable forever in the long term. I mean, 20s and 30 percent growth across each year is not sustainable. But it just shows you that great property, you know, never goes away, and location is always going to appeal to you know astute buyers. Now, before we move on, I'd be interested to get an understanding of what you've been working on over the past three or four years. What's keeping you busy at the moment? Look, I have a diverse portfolio of directorships, uh, not-for-profit and for-purpose interests. Uh, I'm less active in the property space than I was a decade ago, deliberately so. Um, but I do enjoy my not-for-profit boards. They probably occupy a third of my in a given week. And they include... Um, the Arts Centre Melbourne, I chair their, um, their foundation, and I was on their trust for three years. Uh, the Malthouse Theatre, I'm an active director there and a donor, uh, and Documentary Australia, uh, where I'm deputy chair and have been a, on the board there for three or four years. Uh, and then I chair the Sydney Meyer Fund, which is uh, one of the two sort of philanthropic mastheads uh, of the family, the other being the Meyer Foundation. Uh, and I've been on that board for quite some time. Those activities give me a great deal of pleasure and joy, uh, and I mix them with commercial interests, directorships. Uh, I'm a director of the larger My Family Investment, which is uh, fast approaching its centenary. Uh, so there's enough to keep me busy, Rob. Just on the on the topic of sort of arts and and when you're you know reflecting on the past eighteen months, how to what degree have you know things like museums and art galleries here in Victoria been smashed and and what's you know what, what sort of work's going on in the background to try and get those institutions to recover to where they were? Well, look, speaking with uh, my Malthouse and Arts Centre Melbourne uh, directorships, uh, they've had a really really difficult time, um, and. We had a meeting for the Arts Centre Melbourne Foundation last night. We had a presentation that's going to detail the reopening plan for the Arts Centre Melbourne. Uh, and that's exciting, getting audiences back on the stage, particularly starting with the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl <coughs> over the summer series. And then, you know, the resident companies coming back into the main auditoria during uh, next year. They're excited about that, uh, but it's almost as if the technicians and behind the house, uh, back of house and front of house, really need to relearn their, their, their craft and their jobs because they've been off tools for so long. The Malt House is obviously a, a smaller example. Uh, we are looking forward to getting audiences back outside initially. The Malt House outdoor stage, um, which City My Fund uh, and the state government and others uh, put together last year to address sort of COVID needs and e expanding the offer for the Malt House that's going to be one of the drivers that brings new audiences into the theatre. But we're, again, they're just looking forward to putting on shows with some sort of certainty around you know, government health protocols. I want to ask about your background. As I understand it, you attended Scotch Grammar, I think, uh, in terms of schooling, and then you also did an MBA later in life at the University of Melbourne. Tell me a little bit about sort of Andrew Mai growing up and, and some of your, your best memories. Look, uh, there are many. Um, I did uh, attend Scotch College, which a lot of my brothers did. Uh, my father went to, uh, to Geelong Grammar, and he was keen not to repeat that experience. <laughs> Although uh, my children, uh, my daughter particularly, uh, went to Timbertop and had a terrific time uh, during that. Uh, you know, Victorian life, 
uh, was different in the 60s and 70s. It was an entirely different place. Uh, I have many happy memories of, of growing up in Turek with uh, colleagues, um, spending time at the south coast camping uh, with my family, my father uh, and uh, Roy Grounds, the architect of the, uh, the art centre, had a property on the south coast there. So we had uh, most summers there for five or seven years. Now, one of the things that I did want to ask you about, Andrew, was that I read that you ended up in Hollywood sometime in the mid-1990s to work in film production. Tell me a, a little bit about how that came about. Look, an interesting part of my life. Uh, I'd uh, finished a management course at uh, Monash uh, and had always expressed interest in, in the film business. And through an introduction, a family friend uh, introduced me to um, Robert Kirby at Village Roadshow. Uh, who introduced me to Greg Coote, who was running the LA office, uh, and I became a sort of a film wannabe, packed my bags uh, with my wife, or then partner, uh, and we went to LA, which was an extraordinary time. We uh, were working in the Avenue of the Stars, uh, attending uh, workshop screenings, reading a lot of scripts, uh, going to you know, movie launches, uh, driving around uh, Hollywood. It was a little bit uh, quieter than it is now. Uh, but really it was a sort of a baptism of fire and uh, ignited my interest. And what was it like during uh, that period, say 1990s, mid to late 1990s, living in, in LA? How long were you there? Look, I was there a short time. Uh, I was only uh, under a year, but it really galvanised my interest in the film business and subsequent to that experience I came back and got involved with the, the Australian Film Television and Radio School in Sydney uh, as, a, as a council member and uh, developed my long-standing relationship with people like Rob Connolly, the director, uh, and set up a film company with a, with a great uh, colleague, Ned Lander. Uh, we uh, made a couple of films together, uh, including Radiance, which was uh, Rachel Perkins' first uh, feature film, and that launched the career of um, many uh, in, uh, in their lifetimes. Warwick Thornton, who um, won a Palme d'Or, amongst other things, uh, Deborah Mailman, who uh, would be known to the viewers. Um, so it was a good class, the class of 97 on that film. And we were very fortunate to have a, um, a retrospective screening just recently at the Sydney Film Festival. The uh, National Archive uh, each year restores 20 films, and ours was one of them. So we had a beautiful new digital print, uh, and it was very emotional, I have to say. I was, I was quite teary at the end of the experience, and thank the curator from the... Uh, the National Archive, because um, the, it's a wonderful moment to get that sort of work in a state where, where it can't decay. And what do you like about, what, what attracted you to film production? What do you like about movies and films and, and that industry? Look, my career's really been one of sort of um, creativity and concrete, uh, the, the nice um, juxtapositions. But I like working on a project, uh, and whether it's um, physical property or intellectual property, uh, the, the notion of taking something uh, and running with it and improving it and enhancing it and making it and then selling it, uh, it's a sort of a natural lifestyle, a cycle I should say, a natural life cycle. Let's talk about the concrete aspect of your life in particular through AV Myers Group and, and some of the developments that you've done. As I understand it, you got involved in property development around about 2002, 2003 with a development that you did alongside Rob Mills. Tell me about what attracted you to becoming a developer. Look, as I said, um, the, the nature of a project uh, I find exciting uh, and working with uh, talented people on a design um, that's going to fulfil a client's needs. I was uh, 
keen to sort of broaden my wings in terms of business experience. Uh, I'd been uh, in hospitality for five or six years prior to that. The film business was sort of fledgling and uh, property was uh, an obvious fit for me. So I was fortunate enough to uh, sort of do a mentorship uh, with Don Musto, uh, who'd been around the property block uh, for 20 or 30 years before I arrived. Uh, and he sort of took me under his wing and we did that project and subsequent other projects together with a few other partners. And it, it was a, a, a you know, great success. I think if you can point to projects where you don't end up in court or disputing uh, uh, the, uh, the original agreements, they remain in the bottom drawer, you're doing pretty well. And you did do, it must be said, some, some pretty sort of large projects and pretty iconic projects in particular. The Faulkner Apartments, you also did the well at, at Camberwell, you did the Roy Apartments in Fitzroy and 9 to 11 Claremont Street. Out of all of those projects, when you look back now, what were the fundamentals that you considered or, or analysed prior to either acquiring the site or, or actually completing the development? Look, Rob, uh, as, as most of, the, of your uh, interviewees would uh, tell tell you the, the great thing about properties, you, you normally make your profit on the way in. It's, it's getting the right land at close to the right price. That's becoming more difficult as competition has increased. Uh, and it's having a, um, a marketing concept or a design such that it's going to resonate with the consumers that you're trying to uh, attract as buyers. They're probably the two key drivers. Obviously, you've got to have an experienced uh, project manager and builder. Uh, they just go part and parcel. Uh, and be open to um, construction innovations as and when they you know, come along. Now, since um, I started, even 20 years ago, the, the, the construction techniques and the technologies and the sustainability piece that goes into these buildings now is radically different when you consider that uh, you know, you've, you've basically got timber multi-storey office towers now. Um, extraordinary. So you did quite a few projects between that period, say 2002 and 2012. What made you step away? Was it just a timing aspect or were you just your interests were moving elsewhere? Look, uh, like I found a lot in life, my interests do so tend to, to move elsewhere over time. I'd exited um, the well at Camberwell, which we'd developed and, and retained. Uh, we'd developed that and released it largely in the last two years of my ownership to the point where we found an attractive buyer and, and moved on uh, and I reallocated my portfolio um, to take on more of a uh, slightly detuned in terms of the risk profile. There's also been a number of investments that you've made through the AV Myers Group in terms of equities, both domestic and international. What are you seeing in the, in the market volatility that's occurred over the past two years? Are there any particular industries or, or sectors that stand out to you from a, an investment perspective? Look, uh, probably let's start with something that I wouldn't touch, which is crypto. <laughs> uh, that's a volatile ride. But look, if that's your thing, you know, good luck. Uh, I think investment, you know, we're coming up to a centenary of our family investment vehicle, uh, which essentially went from a single stock uh, in, Col in Meyer, the then Meyer business, to Coles Meyer. We have a fully diversified portfolio globally now, uh, of which... Um, I'm a director of that company. We've got an extremely talented CEO, John Russell, who works with our family for the past five years. Uh, you've got to accept and embrace volatility if you're in equities or private equity uh, or ventures. Uh, that is part and parcel of being in that space. But as Buffett said, uh, if you're not prepared to you know, look at your portfolio decrease by 50% uh, in, in a downturn, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing it. 
that's not to say that patient, clever investors have, you know, cranked out reliable double-digit returns for, for decades. And that's our sort of mantra probably for the family investment vehicle. Before we move on, you're quite modest when you are talking about some of the films that you did produce. I mean, as you said, there was Radiance, but there's also household movies such as Look Both Ways and, and Romulus, My Father as well. When you look back at the nine, I think, feature films that you produced, uh, is there one that, that really stands out to you as, as being, you know, the one you're most proudest of? Look, uh, it's often your first, and in this case for me was Radiance with Rachel Perkins. It was a seminal film for her and the Indigenous filmmakers and subsequent to her uh, really sort of staking the claim in terms of it was the first Indigenous film to do any serious box office. Whilst it was only about half a million dollars, you know, the, the previous iteration had you know, done sort of 50,000. And it also uh, set the way for, and Rachel herself described it at the time, was the first uh, blackfella film with jokes. Uh, and it, it, it was a uh, dark satire that appealed to the audiences and uh, it was very popular both at the Melbourne Film Festival and Sydney. It won the audience poll uh, in both cases. Probably more recently, uh, I think in terms of quality of filmmaking, Rob Connolly, who I've worked with on numerous occasions, uh, his next film, Blueback, uh, is going to be an extraordinary, beautiful film. Uh, and that will be in cinemas next June. Because of the, uh, the nature of the story, the performances of these young actors um, and the context of where it's shot and how it's shot will be something. You also mentioned some of your philanthropic endeavours that you've been involved in and there's been quite a lot, Art Centre Melbourne, Bush Heritage Melbourne, Berry Street, the Smith family and so forth. Why is philanthropy so important to you and your family? Look, philanthropy is sort of in the in the Meyer family DNA. Sydney uh, Meyer, when he died, left 10% of his estate, uh, which was a million pounds at the time, 1934, to um, his executives to set up uh, the fund, Sydney Meyer Fund. And I think that single act really galvanised um, the family, particularly my father and uncle, to subsequently set up the Meyer Foundation in the late 50s. Uh, so we've observed and participated in philanthropic sort of intent and endeavour for you know, 50, 70 years. So uh, when you do something a lot, you become pretty good at it. Uh, and it's something that we're deeply proud of. The, I actually was in a Sydney My Fund meeting last week and we'd, we'd like to do a cumulative number in terms of total grants and it's uh, circa 255 million, not, not expressed in current day dollars, so it'd be a lot more in current day dollars. That's a number that uh, our family is deeply proud of because you get to have impact in the community over decades. And I also want to ask you about the Maya family company, which, as I mentioned, you were on the board of alongside a number of high-profile people, both within the family and, and external to the family. What is it that that business does today that it you know, focuses on mostly? Look, it has a diverse portfolio of um, equities, international equities, um, Asian equities, Private, private equity listed investments. And we've transitioned really, as I said prior, uh, from a single stock, single focus entity with an operating um, family members in an operating business to a diversified investment portfolio. Um, <clears throat> and to date, we're happy with its 
performance. I want to ask you, when you reflect on your career, you've been in business for 34 or 35 years now, what are the best pieces of advice that you can share or, or some of the best lessons that you've learnt along the way? I think values, starting with a value set, uh, gives you a framework in which to confront most of life's challenges. Uh, adjacent to that, you've got to have a sense of self-belief that you are capable uh, of doing the things that you set out to achieve and surround yourself with intelligent people and creative people. I've certainly come to know that there are far more intelligent and far more creative people than I, but part of the, the joy in life is actually working closely with those sort of people because you can undertake endeavours and projects that otherwise, on your own set, you wouldn't contemplate. And that is, is deeply rewarding. And be prepared to adapt. Uh, I think um, certain people, they pursue a, um, a dedicated career in the law or in medicine, or uh, that's their shtick, that's fine. Uh, I've tended to take a view that life's finite, you've got a certain number of decades, if you're lucky, uh, to make a, make a mark and prepare to take new directions and adapt as things change around you. When you reflect on the My Family, what has made it so successful and, and what's the glue that's kept it together because it's quite rare for a, a family of you know this significance and scale to last so long and, and be able to stick together so well. Look we often describe the, the key elements of the family, my family's glue, is uh, philanthropy and family. So acknowledging uh, others uh, through the work that we do in the philanthropic space and recognising that there are talents and uh, endeavours from individual family members and they will bring those efforts uh, to bear at certain times in the family's history. We've been very fortunate uh, to again work with dedicated, very loyal advisors over a long period of time uh, and have over time taken a reasonably conservative approach to investing. Uh, we've been fortunate with the Australian tax structure. My uncle often jokes that uh, capital, the CGT uh, changes in 85 and, and franking credits were the, the second best other than compounding interest uh, assets that the, we received as a family for investment. And just to close out our discussion, what's, what's next for Andrew Meyer, the person? What do you want your legacy to be and, and how are you going to spend your years ahead? Look, uh, I have a personal mantra that I had, what I bring to projects and, and enterprise and not-for-profit is, is uh, to create some positive impact. Uh, and whether that's a large or a small amount of impact uh, depends on the, the amount of application that I put, make myself. Uh, but I, again, will continue with a diverse portfolio of interests. I uh, look forward deeply to uh, continuing to contribute to the larger family investment vehicle. It's a, it's a fantastic entity, one that I'm proud of. And also continuing in the philanthropic space with the Sydney Meyer Fund and other endeavours that I pursue. Andrew Meyer, AM, pleasure having you as a guest on our series. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. It's been a pleasure.